Hey everyone, Eden here. I just want to give you fair warning. My story for this week is a little graphic, so if you can't handle things like cannibalism and necrophilia, then you might just want to skip my story and go straight to Nicole's. Uh, I won't think any less of you, but Nicole might, so you still might want to listen to my story. Anyway, without further ado, here's our episode for the week. Hi, I'm Eden. And I'm Nicole. And welcome to Roadside, Roadside Horror Show. Show. This week, we are in Maryland. Maryland. Its nickname is the Old Line State. I'm assuming for the Mason-Dixon line. Probably. Uh, it's also home to some of the oldest people in the U.S., with uh, some residents being 114 years or older. You'd think they'd be in Florida, wouldn't you? Yeah, right, because that's where everyone retires to. But maybe old people just really like crabs. Or they like Edgar Allan Poe a lot. That that could be. That could be. So jousting apparently is the official, well, jousting was the official state sport in Maryland until lacrosse became the state sport in 2004. They really love jousting. And it's also the birthplace of Frank motherfucking Zappa. Yeah! Also, speaking of jousting because the horses, right? Yeah. It's also home to Assateague Island, which is where those wild horses roam. And you can actually camp on the beach. My parents did it. Really? They had a horse they had to try to get out of their tent. <laughs> <laughs> so the wild horses will probably drag you away there. Yes, they will. <laughs> excellent, excellent. So, Eden, you're going to kick us off right with a true crime story that takes place in Maryland today? That is something that I had planned, yes. Sweet. Unless you have objections. Uh, I guess that's fine with me. Okay, fine. We'll do it. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so, today's stop takes us to the wonderful city of Baltimore. Baltimore! Now, if you're anything like me, your mind immediately goes to John Waters when you think of the city, but there's so much more to Baltimore than a dirty old man who makes some seriously crazy movies. You mean like The Wire? What? It's good. What the fuck is The Wire? You'd like it. It's a gritty tri- crime drama all about like the drug industry and... Baltimore. Oh, okay. I'll check it out. Yeah. Was it on Netflix or something? I'm sure it's streaming on Netflix nowadays. Okay, now that you ruined my intro. You can start over again. I'll, I'll pull it back. It's fine. No, I actually like this. Well, it has its fair share of problems, such as high crime rates. I have a lot of fond memories of the city, such as going to Camden Yards to see the Orioles play, uh, going to Inner Harbor and the Aquarium, which if you haven't been there, you have to go because it's the best aquarium i've been to i haven't been there but i really want to go it's a really cool aquarium you'd love it and the inner harbor area is just beautiful i heard they have really good korean barbecue in the inner harbor too probably i don't know i didn't eat it because i was a kid (laughs) when i went there and i probably wouldn't have been into that fair enough uh but enough about happy stuff we're here to talk about murder wow no punches pulled huh nope (laughs) and this guy certainly didn't pull any either uh so this is the incredibly weird story of a man named joseph Methany. Okay, Methany. It's a very weird last name. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, Joseph Methany was born March 2nd, 1955. Oh shit, that makes him a Pisces, like me. Dun, dun, dun! So, now there's four serial killers that I know of who share my sign. The others being Eileen Warnos, Richard Ramirez, and everyone's favorite clown, Pogo, a.k.a. John Wayne Gacy. You know what's funny? All of those serial killers also appeared on a certain little show. Oh, that's true. They were all on American Horror Story. Yeah, during season six, where that hotel, hotel best yeah. Halloween dinner party ever. And as much as I thought that um, Charlize Theron did an amazing job as Eileen Warnos in the movie Monster, I thought that um, Lily... Rob. Lily Rob, yeah, Lily. I think that she did an amazing job, too. They both got that hair flip thing Oh, down. yeah, they did. It was... Uh, 
Be still my heart. Exactly. I know. I love her. Well, not Eileen, but Lily. <laughs> okay. So all the Pisces serial killers that you are in good Apparently, company with. So don't be a Pisces or you will be a serial killer. Do you have something to tell me? Oh, no. No, I, I'm one of the few good ones. Okay. I swear. <laughs> Just you and Kurt Cobain are the good ones. Exactly. His birthday's actually only a day after mine. Oh. So you're talking, telling me about Joe Metheny? Mm-hmm. He grew up in Essex, Maryland. Not England. Maryland. And his childhood was not a very happy one. His father was an alcoholic and died when he was only six in a fatal car accident, leaving Metheny's mother to take care of their six children. Wow. Six kids? Six kids. That's rough. And this is like the 50s? This was, oh, okay. yeah. So early 60s probably, now. Yeah, early 60s. His mother was said to be neglectful, at least by him, and rarely ever home as she worked a lot of double shifts at her three jobs. Well, yeah, six kids. You're going to need to have three jobs to support that. Absolutely. And later, Metheny would say that his mother sent him to live with several other families from time to time, kind of like a foster care situation. Mm -hmm. However, his mother would deny all of this later on. And said that although she did have to work a lot, her children were, they never went hungry. They were never out of her care. They were never alone. Uh, She describes him as being a polite child who did well in school. At the age of 18, Metheny joined the army. And while his mother says that he served in Germany, he always tells people that he served in Vietnam. Which could never be proven because there's no, like, papers that say that. And also, we were pretty much done occupying. Yeah, if he was, so he was 18 when he went into the service? Yeah. He was born in 55, so that puts it, what, like 60... Oh, we don't no. do math That would make him, like, in the 70s, right? Yeah. Yeah. Liar. Exactly. So, yeah, we were pretty much pulled out of Vietnam by that point. Now, once he had joined the army, he pretty much stopped talking to his mother altogether. Once he was out, he got a job driving a forklift. Uh, he also was a truck driver. His mom was also a truck driver at one point. He had a bunch of other weird jobs. Even with the paychecks from these jobs, though, he lived in a homeless camp because he would spend all of his paychecks on crack, heroin, and alcohol, particularly Southern Comfort. Oh, just following Daddy's footsteps, I suppose. Pretty much. I guess I always pick the serial killers that do that. <laughs> <laughs> so, his nickname among his friends, and I guess roommates, it's like whatever you would call the homeless people camp, that he lived campmates? with. Campmates? Campmates. Yeah. Okay, let's go with that. The nickname was Tiny. Even though Metheny was six foot one and around five hundred pounds. Uh, so it's kinda like that, like, oh hey, big guy, hey tiny ha ha. Exactly, yeah. The dumb joke name. I couldn't find a whole lot of information on this, but at one point he married a woman and had a child with her, but she left him. Taking the child, I assume, too. Yeah. The only thing that was really said about her is that she was addicted to drugs. Mm. And Tough. everyone said that he was a nice, friendly, intelligent, well spoken man. So I don't know why, but this always ends up being like the story that they're always like, oh, he was so normal and everything like that. So one day his wife leaves him and takes their child with her. Okay. This is probably somewhere around anywhere between 92 and 94. Everything was screwed up with timelines in my in the notes. That kind of makes Anything sense, though. Like if he's like somebody who's kind of been in and out of like living situations where he's homeless yeah. sometimes, I imagine it's kind of hard to fully put together a timeline of his life a little bit because you really True. only have like maybe and also he was a big ass liar for the most part oh, so awesome. yeah so it's just hard to verify anything he yeah. says so it was hard to find dates like i said so his wife leaves him mm-hmm. takes their kid doesn't know where she is he is extremely angry and he goes out to find her 
He checks halfway houses and under the Hanover Street Bridge where she used to get high. Under the bridge was another homeless camp, like the one that he used to live in. His wife wasn't there, but two homeless men were. And the poor homeless guys didn't know who she was and couldn't tell him where his wife and child had gone. So he did what any rational person would do with this information. Thank them for their helpfulness, even though they didn't have any information? Kills them both with an axe that he brought with him. Oh, yeah, not where... Just for shits and giggles. Not not really where I was thinking that would go. Yeah, well, he still wanted to find his wife after that. And there were a lot of other drug addicts in the area and also um, sex workers and things like that. So he finds someone else to talk to. He finds this woman who um, is a sex worker. He offers her some drugs, and she gets high with him, and he asks her, you know, questions about his wife and his kid. She's like, dude, I don't know. Well, our friend Tiny, big, big Tiny, (laughs) gets a little mad, and he starts beating the woman before raping and killing her, too. Okay, is this all in the same night? All in the same night. (sighs) X-Men is, like, messy, right? Yes. So he's, like, kind of, sort of probably, like... Just flicked, if not covered in blood. Probably. And he's like, hey, lady of the night, you want to get high? Exactly. When I get high, where you tally from <laughs> South Park. And then they do, and then when she disappoints him with having no information, he brutally beats her, rapes her, and murders her. Exactly. All right, this um, is not exactly the fun time I thought we'd have in Baltimore. So that's already three bodies, right? Yep. So he decides to talk to another prostitute. He... Gets the same, no, I don't know anything about your wife. Leave me alone. Mm-hmm. From her. So, kills her too. Oh, my God. He's hiding all these bodies in the bushes, by the way. I, oh, my God. So then, he decides to dump all their bodies. So, he calms down, realizes what he's done. He dumps all four bodies into the, and if I'm pronouncing this wrong, I'm sorry, guys, but Patapsco River. But that's when he notices a fisherman who may or may not have seen him dump the bodies. So he decides that it would be prudent just to take this pipe that was lying around and go out to the fisherman as well. So I guess the lesson here is that if a 500-pound scary bald dude asks you where his wife is, just make some shit up. Tell him whatever he wants to hear. Oh, yeah, I saw her down by the Safeway. Exactly, yeah. Just go for it because you know what's going to happen if you don't. And get the hell out of there so he can't find you when he finds out that she wasn't at the Safeway and comes looking for you. Exactly. Just, in fact, pack up and move that night. But, I mean, I guess he couldn't really chase you that well if he's 500 pounds, but... It could be mostly muscle, though. It could be. That's, I mean, I've seen not. a picture of him, but it's probably not. <laughs> um, but, so there's that. That was five people in one night. This is a that's pretty supposed pr- first night of murder. That's like a rampage. Like, yeah. that's prolific. That's insane. Yeah. All because it's, they didn't know where his wife was. Apparently he found later that his wife was on the other side of town, living with a guy who, according to Joseph was pimping her out for drugs, and the son was taken away from them then, but he couldn't get his son back due to having a criminal record. I looked high and low for any priors, but I came up empty-handed, so who knows, since it seems like this guy just makes stuff up anyway, who knows if any of this happened. Yeah. I mean, the killing definitely happened, but other than that, who knows. So at this point, with five murders under his belt already, he decided, why not kill some more people, I guess? (laughs) Because, you know, that's just what you do. So in 1994, Metheny murdered a 39-year-old sex worker named Kathy Ann Magaziner. Yes, I said Magaziner. I've never heard that last name. That's extremely unique. Yes. He strangled her to death. He hid the body under some pallets in the factory that he was working at. 
Six months later, he decided to come back for her and cut off her head, sodomize it. What? And put it in a box to place it in the trash. What the what? Yep. Six months later? Mm Mm-hmm. That's literally one of the grossest things I've heard all week. Yep. Well, it gets a lot worse, so stay tuned. I will buckle up. Okay, so nobody noticed that her body was just lying there underneath the pallets for, like, two years. Wow. I don't know how no one could have noticed the entire time at his job that there was a fucking body just lying there underneath some pallets. How does that happen? I don't know. Like, you think the smell? Yeah. Like... Right? Maybe, like, you have more rats or, like... Something. But it was just like, yeah, okay, whatever. She's just behind these pallets without a head now. (sighs) So. (laughs) Oh, thank God I'm drinking wine today. Now, this is the best timeline that I can come up with over multiple conflicting sources. Um, I found another source that said he murdered Kathy Ann first, and that was the reason that his wife left him. But since there was only one source that said that, I decided to go with what I found more prevalently being the That timeline. he killed those five people first and then killed Kathy Ann? Okay. So, in either 94 or 95, different sources of different things, Joseph Metheny was then arrested when the bodies of the homeless men he had killed were found. These men were identified as Randall Brewer and Randy Piker. Metheny was acquitted of these crimes because at this time in Baltimore, the homeless population were having a turf war of sorts. Uh, the axe that he had used to kill both of them were also used to kill other homeless men by some guy named Larry Amos. Weird. So because uh, Larry admitted to the murders and because there wasn't really a way to prove Metheny's guilt with the other two victims, even though he would admit it years later, he was just set free because there's no way to differentiate between did Larry kill these guys or did Joe kill these guys? Right, and if they're like, they know that Larry killed at least somebody else with that axe, it would be very clear to assume that he also killed these other guys who were homeless. Exactly, so there's no real way to tell, so he walked free, even though he shouldn't, but there was no real way of having him pay for that. Yeah. So, seeing this as a gift from God, Metheny turned his life around and never murdered anyone again. Or at least not until November of 1996. (laughs) Too good to be true. Exactly. So he decided to kill another woman named Kimberly Lynn Spicer, luring her either to his home or to his place of employment, um, some sources said with cocaine, before stabbing her to death and dumping the body again at the pallet factory. So now there's two bodies at... The yes, the bodies are piling up at the pallet factory. He's really bad at, like, hiding his crimes. He really is. But I guess it doesn't matter because no one's finding his No one's noticing bodies. anyway. Exactly. No one notices. So, yeah. So another another tip from our podcast. Don't work at a pallet factory. There's probably bodies somewhere. I apologize for how, like, weird my notes are this week, by the way. Uh, just because there were, like, so many conflicting stories. You know how I love to get my timelines exactly yes, right. Yes, I do. So it just, it pissed me off. But, you know. So on December 8th, that's right, I finally found a freaking date. (laughs) What year? Uh, This is 96. 96. Yeah. So he kidnapped a friend of his named Rita Kemper, whom he knew from using drugs with. By this point, he was living in a trailer that was next to the pallet factory. (laughs) And he invited her over to do some cocaine, because that seems to be his MO. Hey, you want some cocaine? Come on over. I'm going to kill you. It's a pretty sweet pickup line. It really is. Nicole, want some cocaine? Sure. (laughs) So he propositioned her for sex, and she was just like, no, no, I don't want to be with you, Tiny. I'm afraid I'm going to get crushed. Uh, So he obviously pursued this more. She got the fuck out of there. She just ran away. 
No means a no, Tiny. Exactly. So she ran out of the trailer, but as we know from when he was trying to find his wife, he doesn't like to take no for an answer. He chased her down and began beating her before taking her back to the trailer so he could have his way with her. He then allegedly told her, I am going to kill you and bury your body in the woods with the other girls. So apparently there's more bodies. Who the fuck knows? The fuck? Yeah. She was able to escape from him, though, and she climbed out the window of the trailer and over an eight-foot-tall chain-link fence. Good for Rita. Yeah, I know, right? Damn. She went to the police and told them what Metheny had tried to do to her. And at this point, Metheny gets a little nervous, so he asked a friend to help him dispose of the body of Kimberly Lynn Spicer since her body was still at the pallet factory. His friend, however, told the police, and Spicer's body was found around the 15th of December, and Metheny was arrested again. His boss was also arrested, along with him, I believe it was at a Christmas party, as an accessory after the fact for allegedly disposing of evidence. That's interesting. I wonder, like, what the the situation was with that. I couldn't find a whole lot on that, Hmm. honestly. Uh, So seeing as how Metheny was a very large man, the police expected a struggle from him. But instead, he immediately started confessing to not only the murder of Spicer and the attempted rape and murder of Rita, but also to... You mean the rape and the attempted murder? Whatever I meant to say. Yeah. You said you said rape, or you said attempted murder. No. Sorry. Do you want to start <laughs> over? <laughs> no, that's funny. Okay, it's fine. Um, anyway. <laughs> so, okay. He admitted to killing. He, mil- he admitted to killing a bunch of people. He admitted to killing the homeless people, the two sex workers, and the fishermen way back when along with the murder of Kathy and Magaziner. Now, this was the reason that I wanted to tell this story so much. For a while, Joseph Metheny had his own barbecue stand. No. Nope. He admitted to the police that while running this business, he would grind up his victims to dispose of the bodies and mix their meat with pork and sell it as burgers at the stand. He said there's very little difference between the taste of human meat and pork. Nope. Nope. Big nope. Worst roadside snack ever. Well, my favorite was when you texted me and you're like, oh, so you said yours is in Baltimore, right? Yes. Um, does it involve barbecue? <laughs> I'm like, yep, I'm doing that one. Don't take it. That's the headline I saw. And I was like, ooh. That's what drew me into it. I'm not going to click this link. <laughs> it's more like a footnote in the story, but a very good footnote in the story. Uh, or not good for the people that ate the meat. But you know what I mean. Ugh, long pig, gross. Yeah. Oh, that's right. They do call it long pig. Ugh. Okay. So, (laughs) while the total number of people the police know that he killed, legit anyway, was nine. He confessed to a ton more, though. So, I mean, you know, with him murdering five people in one night, you know, I'd say he's capable of it. Mm -hmm. Also, he may have started killing as early as 1976, rather than 92 to 94, whenever I said. Really? Yeah, 1976. He admitted to an unsolved crime from three years prior, the murder of Tony Lynn Ingracia, whose body had been found dumped by I-95. Police also found another of his victims, an unidentified woman without a head. Yeah, he likes chopping off heads. Fucked up. Yeah, she was just buried 40 feet from his trailer. Ugh. Yeah. The charges for Ingracia were soon dropped due to the lack of evidence since once the trial stopped, even after confessing, he pled not guilty to some of his charges. Okay. So his attorney said that he was remorseful for his crimes. But in a direct quote from Metheny, he said, 
The words, I'm sorry, will never come out, for they would be a lie. I am more than willing to give up my life for what I have done, to have God judge me and send me to hell for eternity. What an asshole. That's just freaking creepy, though. Uh, when asked why he committed all these murders, he said, I got a rush out of it. I had no other excuse why I did this other than that I liked it. Ugh. Nope. Yeah. Mm-mm. So he was found guilty for the murder of Kimberly Lynn Spicer and pled guilty to the murder of Kathy Ann Magaziner. He was sentenced to death for Spicer and life in prison for Magaziner. In 2000, he was resentenced to life in prison without parole for the murder of Spicer since he was tried with the motive of robbery, but then it turned out that was not true, so a lesser sentence was given. Interesting. Yeah, it's kind of weird, but I guess that can happen in court where... Since you're tried for yeah, like the sen- with a different motive, yeah, then... the sentencing technicalities kind of flipped based on the motives, oh, that's kinda... and it kind of like depends on how that aggravates the crime. That's just bull, though. Oh, it is for sure, especially in this case. Well, on August fifth, two thousand seventeen, he was found dead in his cell at Western Correctional Institution in Cumberland. He was sixty-two years old at the time. Did you find out like? what his cause of death was or is it just like you couldn't find a I don't think I found it just everything just said dead in his cell dead in his cell well he did the state a favor I guess yeah it's no more taxpayer money going to him at least and that's the story of a huge man with a huge appetite for murder and barbecue and as for my own appetite I don't think I can ever look at a burger the same way again (laughs) yeah it makes the whole um emergence of plant-based protein a lot more attractive it does i might go vegetarian even though i did that for six years and don't want to do it again well no roadside snacks this trip no not at all no roadside snacks in maryland roadside barfing maybe Ugh. all right i'm gonna pull if the we car see over. that barbecue stand we're just gonna avoid it <laughs> <laughs> but it smells so good oh yeah Ugh. all right on that happy note we should probably take a break when we come back, I will regale you with my paranormal slash ghost story. It does tiptoe a little bit into true crime. That works for me. So hang on, and we'll get yeah. back to it. Just wait for me to stop puking, and then you can tell your story. <laughs> All right, will do. And, and we are back. And we're back. With a special guest, apparently, at the window. It's a squirrel who will not go away and just keeps climbing all over the window. That rustling is the squirrel. Yeah, I think he's trying to, like, come in. I think he wants to be friends now when I just wanted to knock on the window to like make him go away but he's here to stay I guess all right well squirrel buckle up because it's time for my Maryland haunted slash spooky slash paranormal story all right that's a lot of story types you're throwing at me I mean there's a lot lot to the story so the stop today for our road trip <laughs> he just jumped <laughs> again and is just climbing all over the window oh squirrel <laughs> Okay, please tell your story. So our stop today is in Leonard Town, which is in St. Mary's County in Maryland. It's a pretty tiny town. It's about 4,000 people. It's situated south of Washington, D.C., and it's where the Potomac River meets the Chesapeake Bay. It's kind of like a little peninsula. Uh, Leonard Town is perhaps most famous for the National Oyster Shucking Championship that occurs every October in, at St. Mary's Fairgrounds. Oh, that sounds fun. Do you like oysters? Well, no, I hate oysters, but it still sounds fun. I love them. I don't want to slurp my meat out of something. Seriously, <laughs> Squirrel, you are so loud right now. <laughs> we, we gotta wait. No, no, let's keep going. This is hysterical. It's, 
I don't know if this is making good content. The squirrel's kind of a jerk. It's, it's funny. Leave it. Anyway. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead. So you don't like oysters. I love them. And apparently they can be a good cure for a hangover. Ah, I didn't know that. They have lots of vitamin B and electrolytes. Oh, we love our electrolytes. Just so- like idiocracy. <laughs> That's what plants crave. <laughs> it's what Nicole craves. <laughs> So, aside from the Oyster Festival, Leonardtown is also home to a really odd landmark. It's this oval-shaped boulder that clocks in at around 875 pounds. And the locals say that people who go near the boulder or touch it will start to suffer from dizziness, coughing spells, and fainting. Huh. Mm-hmm. They call it Mall Dyer's Rock and say that Mall was a witch who cursed the rock before she died. So... Before I tell you more about Mal Dyer, Eden, can you tell me what you think of when I say witches in America? Witches in America? Like, what's the first place you think of? Probably Salem. Right? Salem. Maybe New Orleans. Maybe. Yeah, with the whole voodoo thing. Mm-hmm. But Either that or, like, somewhere out west, like, the deserty areas. Like Santa Fe, like Stevie Nicks style witch? Yeah. Okay, okay. I personally also think of those things. I don't think of Maryland as, like, a hotbed for witch- witchlessness. Unless it's the Blair Witch. Ugh, don't get me started on that Blair Witch business. Worst movie ever. Yeah, uh, the sequel was a little better, but it still sucked. Like, I admire their, like, pre-Facebook, Twitter, social media, like, viral marketing. That's true, yeah. Campaign, but other than that, not worth my time. Well, apparently the Blair Witch was very well situated because Marilyn is actually very steeped in witch folklore and witch history. I never knew that. Yeah, they have a long history of persecuting women as witches. Hooray? Yeah, I, I don't guess. know if we're yeah. celebrating that or... Okay. Good for Maryland. Well, aside from Maldire, the first incident of a witch trial that I found when I was doing some research was actually earlier than the Salem witch trials. Oh, shit. Yeah, it was about 40 years before the witch trials in Salem took place. So in 1654, a ship called the Charity left London on its way to Maryland with a small crew and passengers looking to settle in the New World. The trip across the Atlantic was a pretty dangerous endeavor back in the 17th century because you're in these, like, wooden boats going across a huge sea. Yeah. Weather can be unpredictable. And that's basically what happened to the charity. It was a very perilous trip. They encountered a lot of violently choppy seas, lots of wind and storms, and it ended up blowing the ship off course quite a bit on their journey. As the charity grew leaky and started taking on water, the crew, aside from being alarmed, Realized they were close enough to Bermuda to attempt to land and repair the ship. However, all of a sudden, a crosswind started up across the island and it blew the ship off course away from Bermuda. So they had to keep sailing towards Maryland. Are they blaming a witch for this? Maybe. That is what happened, actually. Okay. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So as the weather continued continued to be stormy and the ship got weaker and weaker... Uh, Rumors started swirling among the crew and the passengers that there has to be a witch who's summoning this foul weather. Um, One of the travelers aboard the charity at the time was actually a Jesuit priest who was traveling to Maryland. And he later stated that the sailor's reasoning was that the stormy weather was from a witch was because, quote, the tempest lasted all in all two months whence the opinion rose that it was not on account of the violence of the ship or the atmosphere, but occasioned by the malevolence of witches. Ooh. Yeah. See, whenever I think of Jesuit priests, I automatically go to the exorcist in oh, my head. For sure, for sure. That in well, Georgetown. And, yeah. Yeah. So now, if the witch is on the boat, I'm not sure why she would want to cause the ship that she's sailing across this huge ocean to be plagued by bad weather to the point where she might, like, die herself. Yeah. 
But I guess everyone was pretty paranoid after months at sea, and they just kind of went with the idea that all these storms, this bad luck they're having, is coming from this witch's curse. Of course. It's logical. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So the crew starts looking at the passengers, and unfortunately for her, among the passengers was an old woman named Mary Lee. And the crew decided that Mary must be the witch based on her age and her appearance. So they petitioned the captain to put Mary Lee on trial as a witch aboard the ship because he is the sole authority for justice there. And stop laughing at the squirrel. <laughs> I can't help it. It's doing <laughs> squirrel gymnastics. So if you would like other guests on our show, you know, like the squirrel or maybe a badger next time or, you know, something, please let us know. Yeah, we'll have to, we'll have to share the photo that we took of the squirrel we earlier. Will. So the sailors petitioned the captain to put Mary Lee on trial, and he agrees. But, like, seriously, captain? Like, you're like, yeah, sure, witch trial, let's, let's do it. But before that can happen, uh, more storms spring up, and it delays the proceedings. So two of the sailors are like, you know what, I got, we got to fix this. And they decide to take matters into their own hands. As you do. As one does. And they seize Mary Lee, and they search her body for the devil's markings, which was, like, a well-known sign of witchcraft at the time. Which is what? Uh, supposedly it's sort of this, like, protruding teat that the devil and his familiars could, like, suckle and feed off the witches, like... Did you ever see the show Salem? A couple episodes, yeah. Yeah, I wasn't really that into it, so I didn't, like, watch all of it, but she had, like, this, like, teat on her thigh. Oh, weird. we kept referring to her secret thigh teat. Her thigh teat. Where she would nurse her, um, her toad. Was that, like, her familiar? Yeah. Weird. Where she kept in, she kept it in her husband's mouth. Oh, so It was just really weird. And but I guess, there was Shane West, so... Yeah, fair enough. The Devil's Mark is something that's documented pretty heavily in, like, the Malleus Maleficarum. Oh, yeah. The, the Witch's Hammer. hammer. The witch. Yeah. So, like, this witch hunting guide. So it's it, it was documented in that book because it was pretty popular folklore at the time. So... It's nuts if you haven't read it. It's, like, completely insane. I haven't. I just... It, it's Yeah, I, I, you can actually, like, get, like, a little preview of it on Amazon. Hmm. And it's, like, crazy, crazy zealots. Wow. That's... Interesting. I will have to check that out because I'm super intrigued by that. Yes, it's actually pretty cool in a terrifying way. Okay. Mental note bookmarked. Um, so they find this witch's teat on Mary, supposedly. So they say. And because they couldn't suffer a witch to live and cause any more trouble on their journey, they take Mary and they hang her from the mast on the ship until she's dead. That's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Then they take her body and they dump it overboard along with all of her belongings. Did the storm stop after this? They must have, because shortly thereafter, they did land safely in St. Mary City in Maryland. Uh, worse for wear, but in one piece and without their quote-unquote witch. Well, mystery solved. It yep. had to be her then. Clearly. I mean, she was an old woman. I mean, obviously she was a witch. Obviously. But that kind of gives you a sense of, like, the people who were coming to Maryland to settle it. Like, that's what Absolutely. they believe, that witchcraft was a real danger, and they were susceptible to witch hysteria. So these folks settle in Maryland. Like, what else could go wrong, right? Yeah. Just peacefully sleeping in the new world. There's no witches in the new world. Eh, not so much. Over the next hundred years or so, about 12 people go on trial, both men and women, too, which is interesting, in Maryland because they've been accused of practicing witchcraft. I know that kind of pales in comparison to the number of persecutions in New England over the same time period, but I think it's important to understand that the suspicion and superstitions that these people had in the old world continued alive and well in the American colonies. Yeah, absolutely. So out of the 12 people who underwent this tri- these accusations or underwent trials for witchcraft in Maryland, only one was ever executed, though. Her name was Rebecca Fowler. All right. Her story is actually kind of interesting, too. Ooh, fun. So Rebecca Fowler sailed to Maryland as an indentured servant 
1656, so very early in the colony's founding. Uh, I looked in my research to figure out like what the circumstances were for her indentured servitude, um, and I couldn't really find anything. Um, so she could have just been someone who was poor and wanted to leave England and get to the New World. Yeah, a lot of people would sell themselves into indentured servitude, so that way they'd you know, be like however many years after working, and then finally they were free and they had a little money. But... Exactly, because it would help pay for the expensive journey yeah. across the ocean. Also, too, apparently, if you were a criminal and you were sentenced to transportation, you could also be sentenced to a term as an indentured servant. He went to the other window now. Oh, hi, squirrel. Now he's on my air conditioner. He really wants to check us out. He's the biggest fan of this podcast, guys. <laughs> he's going to donate so hard to our Patreon. It's going to be amazing. He's going to get so... We're going to get so many acorns and walnuts. Exactly. Hi, squirrel. Bye, squirrel. All right, where were we? <laughs> oh, yeah, indentured servitude. So you could be sentenced um, as a criminal if you were sentenced to, like, a felony, but the circumstances didn't really warrant, you know, hanging. Yeah. They would sentence you to transport as an indentured servant. So things like, you know, stealing or being a prostitute, that would get you a term in the colonies as an indentured servant. Uh, in terms of Rebecca Fowler, I couldn't find out either way why she was yeah. an indentured servant, but she was. So during her indentured, indentured servant period, she actually met a man named John. And they fell in love and they got married. He was also an indentured servant and they both worked for the same landowner in Culver County, Maryland. I didn't even know they could get married. Yep. They were um, they were indentured servants, so they still had some rights yeah. versus being a, a slave. slave. Yeah. It's a little bit different. By 1683, however, they had both worked off their indenture and managed to save enough money to buy their own land. And they named their newly founded plantation Fowler's Delight. It's a very pleasant name, Fowler's oh, that's Delight. Nice. And actually, now you're going to laugh when I get to my Maryland story. Oh, yeah? Yeah, there's something very similar. Interesting. So by this point, when they have Fowler's Delight, Rebecca's in her 40s or 50s, and her life starts to look up. Like, a lot of things going for her. She's her own free landowner. Her husband had this thriving plantation, at least for a few years. Okay. By 1885... One of Rebecca's own indentured servants was a man named Francis Sansbury. He accused her of being a witch. Now, I couldn't exactly find out what the exact nature of the accusation was per se. It's probably just that he wanted her money and her property. Well, that's the interesting thing. So um, the sources do indicate that something did transpire between Rebecca and Francis, um, whether it was a fight or altercation. They had some kind of conflict. And some of the court documents that we still have indicate that it was indeed a fight, like an altercation. And afterwards, Francis started suffering from some kind of physical malady, an injury or an illness. Okay. So naturally, he blamed Rebecca. Why not? Like, why wouldn't you? Um, she's old. Older than she has a right to be. She's in her 50s. Ugh, what a hag. Ugh, yeah. <laughs> anyway. <Super old. laughs> so he's totally convinced Rebecca has cursed him in an attempt to get some kind of diabolical revenge and make him feel very, quote-unquote, much more worse, consumed, pined, and lamed. So something was physically going on with him that he assumed was from his fight with Rebecca. So Frances Sansbury reports Rebecca for witchcraft, and she's seized by the local authorities. She's taken from Calvert County to St. Mary's City, which is the main city in St. Mary's County, which is also where Leonardtown is located. Since witchcraft was a capital offense, and the only places that in the colonial Maryland you could try a capital offense would be a provincial court, and the only provincial court close by was in St. Mary's. So mm, okay. capital case, she has to go to St. Mary's. So they kind of transport her to the next county over, essentially. So her trial begins September 30th, 1685. 
the accusations against Rebecca were that she had been, quote, led by the instigation of the devil to practice certain evils and diabolical arts called witchcrafts. You've got to love how they word this shit Mm -hmm. back then. Very, very overly complex. So, aside from Francis Sansbury, who accused her, there were also these, like, vague accusations by several unnamed people for, quote-unquote, several other days and times. Nice. Like, super vague. Very vague. Like, these seem like really trumped-up charges on the part of Francis Sansbury, just trying to make his case because he's pissed off that he's sick and he blames Rebecca. So, of course, Rebecca does the normal thing that anybody would do and pleads not guilty to the charges, and she requests a trial by jury because that's going to be your better bet versus going up against a couple of provincial judges. So they grant her request for a trial by jury. There isn't, like, a clear record of what evidence other than Sansbury's accusations that they brought against her, but whatever they talked about in court must have been pretty damn convincing because the jury found her guilty of being a witch. Then on October 3rd, 1685, the justices who were presiding over the trial ordered that she, quote, be hanged by the neck until she be dead. Oh, that's very nice of them. Yeah. Well, here's the really weird part, right? So in my research, I came across a few sources who said that this is actually an unusually harsh punishment for this time in colonial Maryland. Like, there have been other witch trials before, Rebecca, and usually the person was either found not guilty or they were fined. Okay. But... This time, the court basically, like, sentenced her to the absolute maximum penalty, which was death. Um, One modern scholar even speculated it was because the court's decision was linked to some recent scandal that made the court look bad to the local community. So they wanted to appear tough on crime and kind of regain their authority with the public. So they figured, oh, well, this woman is a witch. We'll just, you know, throw the book at her, essentially. So this is where Scruff McGruff got his start? Taking (laughs) a bite out of crime? (laughs) Scruff McGruff. (laughs) Well, I mean... Possibly. Puppy fever and all. I think he was at least on that jury that convicted her, right? (laughs) So Rebecca is unfortunately then hung. And that's, again, the atmosphere that kind of continued in St. Mary's County for the next couple of years. People really being invested in this idea that the woods of Maryland were just full of evil women consorting with the devil. And you got to be on the lookout because they can get you and curse you. It was so prevalent, in fact, I found this super interesting, that archaeologists who have like done digs across the state of Maryland have found these things called witch bottles that all date back to this early colonial period. Witch bottles. That sounds familiar. Yeah. Have you heard of those? I think possibly, but I don't remember what the hell they were. So I didn't know what they were, so I had to look it up. And a, basically a witch bottle is a bottle that you fill with like urine. Yeah. Okay. Urine, yeah. Yes. As soon as I say urine, you're like, mm-hmm. It has pee in it. Love me some urine. <laughs> so you take this bottle, you fill it with urine, needles, like pins, nails, anything iron, essentially. And then you put hair and nail clippings, the person you're trying to protect from witches, in the bottle as well. And it's usually their urine that you're going to use. And then you bury it on your property, and it'll counteract the magic of witches as long as it remains hidden and unbroken. So when people are researching early settlements in Maryland, these archaeologists are doing digs, and they just come upon these bottles. Bottles of urine. Bottles of urine and, like, nail and, like, all kinds of refuse. My friend told me once that his girlfriend at the time was living in, like, an apartment above her parents' garage, mm. and it didn't have a bathroom. So when they had to go to the bathroom, they would just pee in bottles, and then they would just throw them in the dumpster someplace, which is highly illegal. But um, they called them trucker bombs. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> trucker bombs and witch bottles. Yep. <laughs> Don't open that bottle. <laughs> <laughs> That's not apple juice in there. Oh, God. That just reminds me of uh, Little Monsters. 
like the um, Harry Mandel Fred Savage movie yes. movies, or he pees in the apple juice. Oh God. Uh, anyway, back to the story. In 1697, so only about 10, 15 years after uh, Rebecca Fowler is hung for being a witch, Leonard Town, which is also in St. Mary's hanged. County, hanged? Hung? Hanged. She was hanged for, oh, it sounds so weird. It does sound weird, but yeah, you hung. a picture is hung, uh, you know, an animal object is, is hung, but a person is hanged. Interesting. So, only a couple years after Rebecca Fowler was hanged. There we go. Learning new things. St. Mary's County, uh was plagued with a really, really harsh winter. Um, There's a lot of outbreak of disease, especially around Leonardtown. Um, Lots of dead, death, crops failed. The winter was just unbearably harsh. Uh, The locals became convinced that, of course, the source of their suffering was a witch. Again. Obvious. And they did not have enough witch bottles. Come on, quick pee in this. There's another witch. There's another witch. <laughs> Just picture some like weird colonials that are like peeing on their tre- threshold, like exactly. Take They're not that getting through here. Yeah. So the town starts to focus their attention on Mal Dyer. Now, Mal Dyer is an old woman who emigrated from England years ago. Nobody knew much about her history. There was lots of rumors, though, like of a tragic past that like her husband and children had been killed, so she came to the New World to escape that sad past. Um, she basically lived in this hut by herself at the edge of the settlement. Uh-oh, that's already bad. Yeah, already bad. Makes her look more like a witch. Exactly. Great. And the only companionship she really had during those days was a white dog that she kept. So you'd see Maul dry, dry her out, Uh-oh. you know, in her, in her little, like, tiny, like, herb garden or her, like, turnip patch with, a, a, like, a white dog with her. Okay, wait. Dog, familiar. Mm-hmm. Herbs, spells. Yep. Hut, just basic fairy tale witch yep nothing like a poor woman who just has to like grow a sustenance garden and exactly yeah so she's the natural victim slash scapegoat for this settlement so one night as the winter of 1697 grew harsher the locals took matters into their own hands a group of men set out for maldire's hut one winter evening uh carrying torches with the intent to drive her out of the settlement oh that's fun okay so as other winter storm started to sweep into the area, they decided, you know what? We're not even going to bother trying her. She's clearly a witch. Like Obviously. Look at her. She's Come a witch. On. So they decided they're just going to burn her. If she weighs the same as a duck, then, you know. <laughs> well, they, they don't know. They can't find a duck at wintertime. <laughs> if they found that duck, they'd probably eat it. Eat it, it yep. Because it's a famine. So the men get to the hut. Maul refuses to come out because she's not dumb. And she's, like, hiding in her hut. And they decide, you know what? We can just burn the whole hut down, her with it, and be done with it. So they take their torches, set her hut on fire, and kind of pat themselves on the back for doing a good job and cleansing the land of another witch. Meanwhile, Mal manages actually to escape, and she runs into the thick forest behind her hut. Good for her. Yep, she gets out. Um, as a th- Unfortunately, the winter storm had already arrived, and it started to snow pretty heavily, and the men are- see Mal escape, and they start to chase her into the woods. She eventually runs deeper and deeper into the woods until she loses them, and the men kind of give up and go home because they're over it. They're like, whatever. She's just going to get lost in the woods and die, maybe. And indeed, that is what happened. So overnight, the temperatures dropped dangerously low, and the storm grew worse. The men returned to the settlement at Leonardstown with the intent of just waiting out the storm. So after the storm passes, a few days later, they go back to the woods to look for what they assume is going to be Maldire's corpse. All right. As they go through the woods, they do come across her body, and it's a very troubling sight for them. 
They find her collapsed on a boulder on her knees, one hand on the boulder to balance her, the other pointed towards the sky, almost like she's crying for mercy from heaven or uttering one last curse on the residents of Leonardstown. Of she's course. frozen solid. Well, they didn't really know if that was her cursing the town or not, but that rock... Oh, squirrel's back. Oh, hey, squirrel. Hey, how's it going? Okay, it's been fun, but you have to leave now. Bye, squirrel. Anyway, so the rock that she supposedly froze to death on and died on is now the Maldire Rock, which sits outside the old jail and county courthouse in Leonardtown. Oh, cool. And that's where the foolish or brave, those who are foolish or brave enough to touch it will sometimes experience faintness, dizziness. And it's supposed, it's supposed like if you touch the rock, then like the curse gets transferred to you. Oh, no thanks. Yeah. I was going to touch that rock, but now I really don't want to. Nope, nope. It's kind of funny too, because when you like search, image search for Maldire's rock, you will find like every image, either a picture of the rock from like 10 feet away Mm -hmm. or someone like on the rock. Oh my God. (laughs) So there's no happy medium. Um, but that's a brief history of, uh, Maryland's Witchalicious. Witchalicious? Witchalicious! Yeah, It's like bubblicious, but with witches. I can't say it. <laughs> that's their history, yeah. That is really freaking cool. Yeah, I... And scary and weird. Yeah, it's kind of like your classic, like, bullshit where it's, like, the weakest, like, most vulnerable citizen gets, like, gets, persecuted yeah. for the trouble of the town because people are desperate and they don't know what to do. I had, um, a friend who thought this neighbor of hers was a witch. Because she would always, like, wear a lot. She had this long, dark hair, and she lived, like, alone up on the hill and all this stuff like that. And apparently, she ended up working with my friend then later on, and she was an old lady. That's interesting. like, Millie, all the time when we were kids, we thought that you were a witch because of your hair and because of your house. (laughs) (laughs) It was just great. And she was, like, the sweetest woman, too. Of course. Of course. Because she wasn't really a witch. No. I mean, you know... She tries to sell you things because that was our job, but... Witch! Yeah, exactly. Because she will not let you get off the phone. She trained me when I was doing telemarketing. <laughs> and she was just like, if someone would be like, well, no, I'm not really interested. Wait, just wait here. You need to hear this. Like, And she would just keep going. And no one wanted to be like hanging up on her because she was just this cute old lady. And she might curse you. She what? She might curse you? She yeah, that too. Well, that brings us to the end of our episode this week. This was a crazy one, mostly because of the squirrel. I wonder if someone cursed us, and that's why there's a squirrel just roaming around the house. That squirrel. I don't even know what's happening with the squirrel. I think he left now. I'm just kind of sad. Well, I mean, he'll be back. Trust me. We still have one more episode to record today. He'll mm, be back. Fair. Anyway. So, um, oh, that's right. I forgot that I wanted to read a little excerpt from my friend Tyler's crime blog. Oh, excellent. What's the blog called again? It is called Crime Case Collection. This is from her blog, which you should definitely check out. It's crimecasecollection.tumblr.com. Here we go. Barbara Rogers, 42, claimed an online cult centered on aliens and the end of the world was responsible for the slaying of her boyfriend. Rogers told police that Steve Minio, 32, asked her to kill him because he believed the leader of the cult was a reptilian posing as a human. My boyfriend had a gun. He told me to hold it here and press the trigger. Oh my God, he's dead. She told the 911 operator. Rogers was sentenced to 40 years in prison. We are most likely going to appeal it. It was very unfair, Rogers said after her sentencing. The lieutenant on the case stated, apparently they belong to a cult. He was upset with the cult and felt like he was being harassed and he was frustrated. So he asked her to kill him and she did. 
Lieutenant also said the group pertains to a New Age alien agenda and accents apocalyptic biblical themes from the Book of Revelations. Wow, that's a weird-ass story. That's a very weird story. So if you want more weird shit, please go and read her blog because it's actually pretty good. Cold Case Collection? Crime Case Collection. Crime Case Collection. See, now we're just back with Catherine... Morris? Yeah. (laughs) And her hair. And her hair. Brush her hair. (laughs) All right, cool. Um, So I guess it's time for our pluggables, huh? That it is. Aside from Tyler Jackson blog. Yes. Uh, So first of all, you can find our website at roadsidehorrorshow.podbean.com. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Roadside Horror Show. You can email us at roadsidehorrorshow at gmail.com. And you can find us on Twitter at Roadside Horror. And you can, oh no, you already did Twitter. <laughs> and you can send us all kinds of interesting stories about your own true crime stories that, well, I guess not your true crime stories, but your favorite true crime stories that you'd like to hear us cover on this podcast. Also, any paranormal stories that you might have or want us to cover be awesome. Any sort of personal story, like if anything true crime or paranormal related happened to you or someone you know, please email us and we will read it on one of our special episodes. We should be super excited. I really am jazzed to read your stories because nothing quite beats someone's like own experience with it. I know. It. It's really cool and I can't wait either. I really want to hear from you guys so you better email us or I will hunt you down. <laughs> well, and I'd also like to thank... <laughs> <laughs> I'd also like to thank Yacht Rock Design for our logo and E. Massey for composing all of our acoustical accompaniments, all our theme songs, our outro... All of the good stuff that you hear that's not us talking on our podcast. Exactly, because no one wants to actually hear that. So they just come here for the outro and the intro. I know. I know it. It's fine. I don't mind. I don't mind. I don't don't care. Whatever. (laughs) All right, gang. Until next time, we will see you on the road. Bye.